You're listening to Randstad Sourcerite's Talent Navigator podcast. Join us to hear about the latest research, talent trends and success stories from human capital leaders who are driving their organizations forward with smart workforce planning strategies. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of our Talent Navigator series. My name is Tracy Monsoor, and I work in global marketing for Ronstadt, and we're very pleased to have you here today. The focus of our presentation today will be Accelerating Digital Transformation, Thriving in the COVID-19 Era. It's hard to believe, but in many parts of the world, we're closing in on the one-year anniversary of the outbreak of COVID-19, and obviously the impact has been far-reaching. This is especially true of the impact on the global workforce. To gauge how employers are handling the pandemic, Ronstadt SourceRight surveyed human capital leaders at large enterprise companies across the globe to understand how well they think they've managed this process, the crisis, their talent challenges, and the impact that COVID-19 has had on their hiring efforts, how they plan to move ahead in the recovery, and what are their growth plans for going ahead. So we're very pleased to bring to you today the results of the surveys, the impact that we believe this will have on your workforce going forward with a couple of noted global subject matter experts on the topic, whom I'm happy to introduce to you now. So firstly, on the the left side of your screen, I'd like to introduce Michael Smith, or Mike as we call him, and he is presently the Managing Director of Ronstad SourceRite in the EMEA region and Ronstad in the UK. Effective January 1 of next year, though, we are very pleased to announce that Mike will become the global CEO of Ronstad SourceRite. He'll be relocating from his home in Amsterdam to Houston, Texas. So very excited to have you here stateside, Mike. Mike has many years experience in the talent acquisition industry, working in operational leadership roles across Europe and APAC. He currently manages both lines of business in Europe and UK, as I mentioned before, and he will share many client-specific insights with us today. So welcome, Mike. Thank you, Tracy. Pleasure to be here. And Cindy Keeveny is our Chief People Officer and oversees the HR efforts for our global businesses within Ronstad. She is certainly a leading business and human capital expert with over 30 years of experience transforming organizations by leading high-performing teams to produce profitable growth, industry-leading products, and creating corporate strategies in what is obviously a very complex and changing environment. So Cindy leading our global HR team is always ensuring that the best strategies are in place to deliver a standout talent experience for all of our people throughout our global businesses within Ronstad. It certainly is focused on driving best practices and new approaches when it comes to TA, management engagement and development, and further enabling cross-cultural collaboration and talent mobilization, which certainly could not be more important in today's climate. So welcome, Cindy. Tracy, it's a pleasure to be here. So just very quickly, we'll set the stage with the survey and what you and your peers told us. And then what I'll have Cindy and Mike do is have a conversation about the trends as they've seen them. And most importantly, how you can take some of this best practice insights into your respective businesses. So I mentioned this, this source right talent trends research, as we called it, surveyed employers in 17 markets across the world and Q3 and early Q4 of this year. While it found that most human capital leaders believe that they were able to effectively mobilize at the onset of COVID and have done a very good job in virtualizing their workforce while ensuring safety, of course, many organizations still worry they lack the skills to fully transform to a digital-centric organization. So with that kind of team things up, I'm going to defer to Cindy and Mike to take you through some of the top trends, what we found through this extensive research, and again, we welcome your questions through the Q&A or chat function of the WebEx. Thanks so much. Thanks very much, Tracy, and a special thanks to everybody who's participating. Mike and I are really happy to be presenting this research and offering our perspectives and insights and experiences, uh, not only within Ronstadt, but also with clients. So um, thanks again for joining us. 
This slide here um, highlights five areas that we will cover. But just a, a little bit of context, I don't want to state the obvious, but the last nine months have been trying and tough. There's no question about it. We're dealing with remote workforces. We're dealing with um, fear. We're dealing with uh, workforce reductions. We're dealing with a lot that has put stress and pressure onto organizations. However, there is light and there are some good things that have come out of the past nine months. So we use a term here and we kind of um, picked it from McKinsey. Uh, they published an article many, many months ago, and they used the term bounded optimism. So what does that mean? It means being realistic and being transparent, but also looking for the things that are working and having some hope for the future. So I think this research is going to do some of both, right? We're going to talk about some of the things that are working really well and some of the things that we're struggling with and give you some perspective on how leaders across human capital and business have responded. So the first um, area or trend is um, a rating. How respondents um, came to us and said across four areas, right? So the first one is across, um, you know, how organizations are communicating, how they are providing flexible workforces, how they're communicating, how they're dealing with change, and the last one is how overall they're managing their workforce. So if you look at these stats, it's interesting to see, I think, that across those four areas, there's a pretty consistent in the 75% range, give or take, where leaders felt that they were managing those four areas either very well or extremely well. So I think that says a lot for even in difficult times, there's agility, and there's recognition that we need to do things differently and we need to introduce new workflows and new technologies and things that can help us thrive. And by and large, I think there's some pretty good research uh, response here that says organizations feel like they're doing a pretty good job. Um, to the right, 27% feel as though they're doing an overall extremely well job managing their workforce. But if you look above that 27%, there's a pretty big chunk that says they're doing very well. So, Mike, I'd love to hear from you this first question. How are companies adapting their talent strategies during the pandemic? What are some of the things they're doing that are helping to drive that organizational performance? Yeah, I think first and foremost, despite your comments, Cindy, about them being in a situation that is incredibly difficult for them over the last nine months, in most of my conversations with global, regional talent acquisition HR leaders, they often uh, reference a time of surprisingly positive change acceptance within that organ within their organization at that time. And most of them are using it as an opportunity to push a little bit harder on evolving the service that they offer in the business, uh, improving the efficiency, quality, candidate experience, the predictability of being able to hire better candidates, um, or even using it as a time to kind of get deeper and wider on strategic uh, workforce planning. I think um, in terms of their response to actually driving organisational performance, you, you obviously saw a lot of organisations were first to force to furlough or stand down employees during that period. Um, and interestingly, a lot of the questions that we asked our customers were, if you could only bring back one job or one type of role, what role would you bring back from furlough and why? And uh, interestingly, a lot of organizations struggled with that, which led to the idea that there wasn't this idea of the criticality of roles within an organization. What roles add a disproportionate amount of value, add a significant amount of support to the overall achievement of the business strategy, et cetera? So we, we saw some of our clients go out and undertake that exercise during this period of where they weren't doing as much hiring work out what roles were going to support the organization overall in achieving their strategy at a disproportionate amount of value, um, and then say, how can we bring these roles in an, an incredibly different way in the future? How can it be more efficient, more consumer-centric? How do we get the predictability around these roles to be better? Um, so I think despite all those challenges that we've seen in the last nine months, there are organizations out there using this change acceptance to uh, rework the way their organizations uh, have thought about hiring talent previously 
and is still having a really deep impact on achieving and augmenting the business strategy. That's really, really good points, Mike. And I, I also think one of the things that we're experiencing within Ronstad, and uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on other clients, but a big commitment for upskilling and reskilling. So as we have time and as we have some space with what's been going on, um, we're investing, kind of doubling down with our commitment to upskilling in a couple of key areas for our organization. And we're offering some reskilling to um, our broader clients at large, Mike. So um, I think those are also two areas that, um, not that it's new or different, but we're kind of doubling down in those areas. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the I see a mixed bag on that, if I'm honest, across clients. Um, uh, I probably put there's a, there's a lot of clients that are wanting to do something, recognizing they're not in that place. There's a lot of clients that are talking about doing something, not doing something. Then there's a lot of clients that are really putting their money where their mouth is on it. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, I see those organizations who are doing that are the, the larger Fortune 500 companies who have potentially deeper pockets to do that at this time. So I, I still think there's a, there's a challenge for organizations in the mid and lower tiers that I just mentioned to find a way to create space to invest in that. Um, even run little pilots, such as great ROI. Um, but I, I think it's the hiring manager community to convince them that skills relevancy isn't critical right now. I think it's an incredibly difficult task for HR and TAC. Nonetheless, we, we can't give up that fight. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's a good balanced perspective. So it kind of leads us to our next slide. So this is kind of the good news, right? 70% are optimistic about the future of their business. So we, we talked a little bit about that. But here are some of the areas of, of concern or struggle, right? Psychological, financial, uh, well-being. There's been some hit. There's been some impact for sure. Um, the pandemic it's take, has taken its toll. And I don't know about all of you on the phone, but I know for sure that there are days that I'm kind of swimming in that big yellow circle in the middle, right, suffering from online meaning fatigue. I think that's one of the... One of the things, the, the good news is we have the technology to keep our business going and to engage and to interact and have meetings and to, you know, engage in sales and so forth. But um, it does make for some pretty long days. Um, also that, it, you know, interconnectivity, like people getting together either in the work environment or traveling, right, and meeting up for sales meetings or for, for global meetings or whatever it is. There's, there's a big gap there, and people are feeling that. People are feeling it. They want that interaction. And then clearly the impact of furloughs and some salary cuts and benefit cuts and, re and reductions of workforce. These are kind of, you know, we talked about that bond, bounded optimism. This is the reality of, of some of what the last nine months has, has uh, impacted and, and hit us. So, um, you know, Mike, I called out the yellow circle. You know, talk a little bit about your experience as a business leader. Yeah, I, I think the yellow circle is very prevalent. Um, uh, I think for, for all levels of the organisation, I think in particular, what I've seen is organisations go to their talent acquisition, their HR departments and say, um, uh, how can you still during this time help us get a better understanding of how we future-proof our organisation for the future? I think that's such an incredibly difficult ask in this current volatile and in incredibly uncertain environment. Um, the, the organizations from a TA and HR perspective, and I think have handled this well, have uh, predominantly created these cross-functional teams of workforce and the future teams or talent acquisition response teams who have done quite a bit of scenario planning. So they said, it, it's impossible for us to see what's going to happen in the next 6, 12, 24 months, et cetera. What we can do is say, if this was to happen, what would our response be? If, if we were in a situation where we were in an economically subdued environment for the next two years, how would we handle that from a TAHR perspective? If we were in a situation where a local supply of graduate talent dissipates, how would we respond to that? And interestingly, I've been lucky enough to join a number of those scenario planning workshops for clients. And what often comes from that is, despite the scenario planning never happened to put into effect, some of the things that they talk about that they would have done, end up they end up implementing in a pilot style format anyway, that in, impacts the here and now. So um. Look, the, the suffering from online meeting fatigue, the furloughed employees, et cetera, the best way to try to handle that in the future is to have an agile strategy to handle that. You, you need to plan for that if that's the case. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point, Mike. And 
I think if there's one word that kind of flows through um, success, successful clients, what they've done, how they've responded, it's agility, right? Leaders need to be agile, which drives that agility across the organization. So um, clearly, we'll probably be using that word more than once um, during the course of the next 45 minutes or so. But uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that perspective. Um, the, the next slide also has some interesting information, right? So this shows kind of the progression of remote working, pre-COVID, current, and then what organizations are predicting will happen toward the end or after the end of the year. There's a little bit of variation by region, as you can see, with um, the, the color coding. But um, prior to COVID, right, 20-some-odd percent of organizations provided remote work or supported remote work. Um, to our current situation, where you know, up to 60% of the workforces are working remotely. Many organizations, many of our clients can. Some organizations can't, unfortunately, but many can. And what's interesting is asking people what their plans are post-COVID, many organizations have experienced some very positive results. Many organizations actually have seen an increase in productivity. Um, some say, you know, there's been a drop. Forty-six of the respondents have actually increased productivity by working remotely. And there are some obvious reasons for that, right? Number one, people don't have to commute. Number two, there's more flexibility in a day. Number three, there's a lot of pressure on working and caregiving and schooling and all of the things that remote work can provide some flexibility around. Um, and, and just the engagement and, and so forth, that people are really liking that flexibility. So in, in many instances, productivity is up. 15% of our respondents said the productivity is down. So it's, it's not 100% across the board, but it's enough to show that organizations are very willing, once we get out of the pandemic, whenever that is, to continue and to, to look at their real estate footprint and to look at hybrid models, right? Come in a day a week, but work remotely. So I think there's going to be a lot of flexibility on an ongoing basis based on the fact that organizations prove that this can and does work. Mike, what are you seeing from clients? Yeah, I mean, I've been incredibly taken back by how organizations have moved to take that step to embracing that that work from anywhere mentality. Um, and and you, you touched on the um, the word agility, and I think that's, that's certainly the buzzword at the moment, Cindy. Um, you, you see organizations um, uh, it, uh, I'm asking the question, how do I redefine work? And when I think about redefining work, I think about taking a, a normal job, breaking it down, reconstructing it. What could be done from home? What has to be done on site? What could be done by RPA? What could be done by statement of work, gig workers, et cetera? And uh, transparently, out of the, the 700 clients that we have in our outsourced portfolio globally, I don't see many of them at that stage yet where they're breaking down and redefining work in that way. What they are doing is saying, in the future, I'm not 100% sure how work might get done in the organization. What I do need to do is make sure that I have as many vehicles as possible to get that work done based on the skills that I need to support our, to bring into the organization to support our overall strategy. So I see during this time, lots of organizations making very bold decisions about uh, do we have a compliant model globally that's scalable, that's seamless for acquiring contingent talent? Do I have something in place that allows that, and uh, maybe it's an MSP, a contingent talent model, to utilize gig workers in an offshore labor arbitrage way, access to talent that's compliant? Do I have a permanent uh, scalable offshoring facility to help me if uh, in any circumstance I need to hire a significant amount of staff? Uh, do I have robotic process automation coming into my organization? So lots of organizations making that bold choice to move towards, I don't know what the percentage of each piece of the workforce is going to look like, but I want to have the vehicles to be able to do it in a seamless way for my organization in the future, and I want to prepare for that. Yeah, good, good point, good point. I think in terms of employer brand um, during the pandemic, uh, and, and some of the things that have come out from the research is the ways in which, the frequency with which 
um, organizations are communicating and, uh, you know, transparent communications. Like I think our organization came out and yes, there will be some impact. However, our number one priority after the safety and well-being of our employees, which we confirmed and restate all of the time, is to protect as many jobs as we can. And so I think we, we established that framework. We were transparent, transparent around it. And I think that established some credibility, right? So you think about the, the ways in which even tough messages are communicated and delivered have an absolute impact on employer brand. We're gonna talk a little bit about that in, 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 in the next couple of slides, but any thoughts you have on employer brand, Mike? Yeah, it's, I think everything you touched on, Cindy, is exactly what I've seen. Um, uh, good leaders and good talent acquisition HR leaders, with, along with their marketing departments, do. They've increased the frequency of communication, the transparency of the communication. They've been clear about this is what's happening to us as a company and this has been our response. Um, they've put in place the right measures to get an understanding of how employees are reacting to their, their actions, whether it be at a uh, a segment level, a geography level, et cetera. Um, uh, so I, I think organizations who were good at that previously um, uh, already had a leg up in moving towards COVID to differentiate themselves and improve the strength of their employer brand. But I've also seen from kind of an outside in perspective, organizations really focus on making sure that uh, in terms of attracting uh, retaining and engaging talent. They've really focused on making sure they're also improving the inclusivity of their brand's um, proposition within the market currently, um, needless to say. And then uh, secondly, trying to mirror a little bit more the, the feeling of this is who we are as a company, this is how we treat our employees throughout that employee life cycle. So if you take a very simple case of maybe applying for a job, um, what's it like to apply for a job? Um, uh, and, and we had a banking customer more recently who said it's, it's easier to open a bank account with us than it is to apply for a job. It takes mm -hmm. 27 minutes, you've got to fill in 34 forms, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that, they said that that's the, the experience of applying for a job and working as an employee here doesn't mirror the consumer product experience that we want. But we want to take some steps towards that so that um, we're in a situation where employees are happier, that we're bringing more of the talent. And needless to say, if you're having a very negative experience in applying for a job, um, uh, then obviously that's going to impact on your desire to want to work or procure services, products from that company. Absolutely, absolutely. Which kind of leads us into the next slide, Mike. Um, and it, it, it gives some some color to even so, though some things have to happen in organizations around furloughs and workforce reductions, um, the, again, the way in which it's done can actually drive, um, either preserve or increase employer brands. So here are a couple of stats, right? Um, what kind of outplacement in coaching and mentoring is offered along the way, right? Um, ability to network within the organization or introduction to other organizations um, and alumni talent pools, right? So setting up that opportunity for people who are going to have to be looking for other jobs, how are they being networked um, across alumni talent pools so they have um, some introductions and some access? So I think that, um, you know, for us at Ronstadt, um, I think we have taken all of these to heart and um, we're one of the organizations that has um, minimally preserved our employer brand. We get a lot of feedback in our engagement surveys, which we started uh, in the height of the pandemic doing weekly. So we could take that pulse and get that feedback and, and make decisions that matter to people. We got a lot of even though it's a tough time and we have to make some tough decisions, you're being transparent about it and you're treating our colleagues um, well. And that's a really important thing. It sounds so obvious, but if done well, it can help. 51% um, say that their brand hasn't changed who responded to our survey and 42 report an actual improvement, even though it's been nine months of difficult decisions for organizations. So any perspective on this, Mike? 
Yeah, I've had um, uh, quite a close working experience with two or three clients here in uh, Europe that have had an alumni talent pool for set up for three or four years. And we uh, help with the, the content engagement, nurturing of keeping that alumni talent pool alive, coming back when being considered for permanent part-time assignments, et cetera. And um, uh, those organisations had to make some tough choices around um, uh, reducing their workforce uh, during the last nine months. I was blown away by the willingness from that alumni talent pool to actually take a chance on those individuals based on the great experience that they had when they were either uh, made the decision to leave or be offboarded by that organisation. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it was incredible. The success rates, which I, I can't quote, but were very, very high in terms of helping those individuals get back. So despite it being only 17%, even though we had a few below, that would be one that I'd really encourage individuals to invest in um, into the future. Yeah, really, really, really good points, really good points. So um, we're moving into uh, communications, which is the next trend kind of that came out of, of our survey. Um, I mentioned earlier that for Ronstadt, and I think for many organizations I've, I've read, and I've, I, I've um, you know, read, read a lot of, of, of articles and talked to clients, but the number one um, area of importance for organizations is the safety and well-being of organizations. So that is critically important, and we hear that, we say it, we hear it, we read about it, so, so that's there. Um, we talked about reskilling. We talked about um, stepping up the recruitment processes, right? So how are we bringing people into the organization in new and different ways? Um, so these are, I, I don't want to read them all. You, you can read them here as, as Mike and I kind of banter back and forth. But communication, absolutely key for talent leaders. How do you do it in a remote environment? What are some of the technologies and tools that you're using? Um, and how our talent leaders might managing priorities as their roles shift. Sorry, Cindy, I just lost you there. Can you uh, ask that question again? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking a little bit about some of the important areas of communication that organizations are, are instilling across. And if you think about talent leaders managing priorities as, as roles shift, and they're trying to drive that agility and, and bounce from change to change and, you know, do some things strategically, but also do some things on the fly because there are no big playbooks here. So, Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you, you talked about bounded optimism earlier, and I think talent leaders have an incredible challenge, yet an incredible opportunity at the moment. And across our client base, I see talent leaders really trying to operate in both a, a complex tactical, yet a strategic duopoly at the moment. Um, uh, so on that tactical front, they're focused on day-to-day -day execution in the here and now. I need to manage well-being. I need to manage communication proactively. I need to make sure that communication is landing in the business in the right way from the engagement perspective. There's critical hires that we still need to make. Um, but I also see quite a few of them saying, what are the seeds that I can plan at the moment that have the potential to fundamentally change the way that we engage, attract, and retain talent in the future, particularly when, who can say when that is, the inevitable economic upswing kind of comes back. Um, I think there's some concrete examples of some of those seeds that I see our, our clients kind of placing at the moment. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier um, uh, reskilling. So we see a, a, a number of our clients running reskilling pilots with um, uh, personal learning cloud curators for particular uh, segments of their organization. We see organizations running what we call proactive internal mobility pilots. So that's where they'll take a section of their internal talent acquisition team and say, culturally, these two lines of businesses are open to be taking individuals from other parts of the organization. Our HRIS system isn't up to date, so we're not gonna be able to utilize that to go and find that talent that exists within our company. A lot of them, honestly speaking, might use LinkedIn as their own internal uh, talent mobility sourcing mechanism and that they've set a general acceptance rule within the organization say it's, it's okay to go and uh, procure talent or approach talent from those organizations from a line of business or an industry perspective are in decline, um, uh, as well as generally uh, introducing a significant amount of new HR technologies um, uh, 
during this change time of increased change acceptance. So that idea of kind of keeping, if I can, 75% of your eye on the here and now, tactical day-to-day -day delivery, and 25% on, there's still an opportunity for me to plant some seeds here on how I can influence how things get done in the future. Let, let's not lose that time of increased change acceptance, particularly from a digital perspective. So Mike, I'm gonna ask you this question and then I'll answer it, but I'd love your perspective. How do you see the role of HR changing in the months to come? <laughs> yeah. we, we've talked about this. <clears throat> Look, um, I, I don't know if my answer is gonna be the popular one here, but um, uh, from my perspective, um, great HR leaders roles, I don't think haven't changed significantly as a result of COVID. In my experience, great HR leaders were always really focused on engagement. They were really focused on the well-being of their staff and the mindset. That that really difficult balance of co-insuring and driving the people and the financial uh, commercial strategy at the same time. Now, whilst there's obviously been quite a big increase in the time spent on engagement, well-being, inclusion, etc., generally speaking. Within our client base, I think what's happened is those great HR leaders are being are just giving a greater chance to shine during this period. But the only exception to that, I think, is a little bit where you've got those industries that have been incredibly heavily hit by the the downturn in COVID, who have obviously spent a significant amount of their time um, uh, looking at the outplacement, the alumni talent pools to protect their employee brand and their employees in the future. Um, uh, but. Look, I, it's difficult to say given the uncertain and complex world we're living in at the moment, but I think the if you were working on the right things previously, the exacerbation of COVID should put you in a position where there is a HR leader, you can use that as a competitive advantage for the board. Yeah. What do you think? I don't think that's unpopular. I think I would like to say I agree, and I do. I think it's an issue of gradation, to your point, right? So the amount of time spent, the frequency with which engagement um, surveys have been done during the past nine months, right? The, the focus on building out workforce flexibility and scheduling, right? So we've, we've done that within the Roundstart organization. We've brought it up a notch and we've, we've made some decisions on um, things like in the U.S. as an example, if you need to reduce your work hours because you have caregiving needs, schooling needs, whatever that choice is for you. Um, if you go down to 20 hours a week, we will still maintain your full benefits, where in the past it was 30 hours a week. So I think gradation, right? We're doing things, but with more intensity, more frequency, and offering expanded opportunities in, in some of these areas. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. So um, it would it, it would be a bad thing if we weren't aligned on that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. Um, so the next slide gets into a little bit of the, the technology component, right? So uh, I will say that without technology, without Ronstadt being in the cloud, without our access to all of what we have with HR analytics and engagement and um, Google Hangout and, you know, the, the technology that we have at our fingertips, um, we would not have been able to thrive in the past nine months. Um, that being said, there's some interesting um, increasing in adoption and scaling of technologies as a result of the pandemic. There's, there's some interesting nuances by um, region here. Um, probably not great surprises, right, APAC, right? more adoption and introduction of scale technologies than some other regions. But um, the stat here, Mike, and I know that you talk about it, is 3.9 on average, 3.9 new technologies adopted by businesses during the pandemic. Um, you know, that's interesting, right? And I'd love to hear your perspective on that stat and which technologies from your perspective, have, have added the greatest value um, to, yeah. to the business. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that statistic is staggering, if I'm honest. Um, uh, and uh, when we dig in a little bit underneath that, from a statistical point of view, in my conversations with clients, I mean, the, my initial impression was that's probably just more adaptation of kind of work tech. So 
the, the Zoom, the Microsoft, uh, team meetings, Google, et cetera. But in my conversations, what I've seen is that it's, it's been a lot more than that. Um, uh, it's been the implementation of <coughs> engagement technologies, a further investment in uh, talent analytics and HRS systems, um, uh, a focus on uh, differentiation within the recruitment technology piece, whether it be marketing tech, et cetera. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that statistic surprised me. I think particularly given that there's on average 400 new HR technologies that come out every year, yeah. um, to have four uh, during the pandemic, whether it be by necessity or by choice, um, just shows how far organisations have come in terms of their ability to, to digitally onboard new technologies. Um, I think the... The ones that have had, I've personally seen have the most powerful impact on organisations are the ones that have the, the ability to combine HR, talent analytics and engagement. Um, when you bring those two elements together, it has a, an incredibly meaningful impact. So the ability to be able to say, um, uh, I can see a particular segment of employees in a particular region and I can, I can see the trend there on a particular topic is going the right way, the wrong way and overlaying predictive analytics on it to say that if we don't do something to change this soon, the likelihood is going to be we're going to have X amount of turnover within the next seven to eight weeks. Um, I know as a business leader, I found that incredibly insightful in being able to do skip meetings with certain um, uh, members of my organisation. I heard from many clients that they were doing the same. And uh, that ability to be able to listen in on little bits of the organisation that need tweaking um, has been incredible in terms of maintaining our engagement, motivation, resilience, agility, et cetera. Um, and then I think the, the second one would just be those organisations who pre-invested in online learning management systems uh, during this time and they had the capability to quickly onboard and roll out content around mindset, resilience, well-being, working from home, et cetera, uh, training in a new way of working, onboarding new workers, um, uh, the, we see a, a huge correlation between high engagement scores and the ability to be able to have those LMSs rolled out and new employees being onboarded. So that would, that would be the ones that stand out for me. You know, I, I think you, you raised a really, really important point. How do you integrate some of the HR technologies to bring it to the next level and to do some of that, not only prescription, but prediction as well? Um, I would have to say if I had to pick one technology as an HR leader um, that has added probably the most value to what we've done over the last nine months, it's been our PECON technology, which is our engagement technology. Um, as I mentioned, weekly, then biweekly, now we're, we're doing monthly, but we do trending and we make leadership team decisions based on the trends that come out of that data. So um, really, really important thing to do. Um, and then, then to combine it with the other areas, as you talked about, Mike, really important. The next, um, the next question I think is really important. I know we've wrestled with this some mm -hmm. transparently with transparency within our organization. It's not easy to adopt technologies. Um, and when we're talking about agility and making quick decisions and the need to adopt in a, in a, in a quick way, Ideas, thoughts, suggestions for organizations on how to do this in a meaningful and well way? I think first and foremost, the thought process of introducing a new technology, in my opinion, should never be viewed just as an IT project. Um, it has to be viewed as one of business and cultural change that involves cross-functional teams and I think where possible, depending on the size of the change, are dedicated individuals in business transformation or project management roles. Um, we have a saying within Randstad that tech is easy and change is hard, as well as you need to fall in love with the problem rather than just fall in love with the technology solution. It's been a long, hard road for us as a company to understand the level of investment and the dedicated effort FTE required to really get digital change right within our company. And um, it wasn't until we kind of said, look, this is really our ambition. We need to get better at change. It can't just be about running it like an IT project and lifting up the hood and saying, if that's our ambition, how much money, how many dedicated FTE do we actually spend as a total percentage of our OPEX currently or PE currently on change? Digital initiatives been running really well. And that, that was a stark realization for us as a company 
that uh, we weren't necessarily putting where our money where our mouth is. We've now done that, um, uh, and we see it. We see it still not being perfect, but it's it's miles away from where it was previously. No, really important point. It is change. Anytime you introduce a new technology, it's change. So you need to bring the people along who are going to be affected by the change. And you also have to look at changing the ways in which we work, right? What are the work processes that are going to change? As you overlay a technology onto something that somebody is already doing, and you're not going to get the desired outcome or effect. So we've learned some of that the hard way as well, right? Totally. Yeah, the, the, the business transformation roles that go in and scope that change, they work with L&D, to engage the people to talk about how that's going to change. You need people from operations to be part of that team that's embedding the change. It's a, it's a complex process. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But when done well, it can it can drive what we're um, looking to, to get for our, our return on investment for sure. On the next slide, um, there's a list here of the top 10 technologies that our respondents um, to the survey said that they invested in during the pandemic. So we talked about 3.9 new technologies on average by business. Um, you can see by far the number one is video and online interviewing. So Mike mentioned that a few times. Um, what are we doing to change the process of the ways in which we're, we're recruiting? Um, interestingly enough, um, organizations also reported that video and online interviewing is the number one technology that they plan to continue to keep and do post-pandemic. So good experiences, it's working well, it's driving efficiency, it's improving um, candidate experience in many ways, right? So some very good success with that, and it's um, number one on this list and the number one on the keep list for um, post-pandemic usage. Um, any comments, Mike, on this list? Any thoughts on kind of the top three? You've referenced some of them as we've been going along, but um... yeah, I think um, uh, I'm not surprised to see those top three there. I think um, uh, if, if I look at most of the organisations we deal with from an outsource perspective, they would have the majority of the top five, I think, uh, in place at the moment. I think um, uh, I'm still taken back a little bit by organisations uh, continued. Uh, optimism about continuing to utilize video and online interviewing tools. I, I, I had a, uh, a meeting this morning with the, the global head of talent acquisition of a very large financial services organization, and uh, she said, we will not move away from video interviewing and replace it with face-to-face -face interviews at any point in the next 12 months globally. It will be the only time that uh, there will be the opportunity to do that will be when that person's starting with us. And I, I, I applaud the boldness of that decision. Um, uh, I think it's, uh, it, it, given the difficult circumstances, um, I, I think it's uh, potentially a step in the right direction. I think the, the challenge for organisations in that environment is we've, we've been um, lucky enough to do some studies with some clients who are showing that through their engagement scores and through our own engagement scores, the level of loyalty to an organisation of those individuals who are onboarded in a virtual way and haven't had a large amount of their time or a large percentage of their working time in the organization physically engaged with an environment, colleagues, et cetera, um, uh, you, see, you see a higher, uh, a lower level of loyalty and a higher willingness to accept other offers from organizations in that space. So I, I think the challenge for organizations is that's okay in the initial period. How do you still tackle that engagement, that connection with colleagues that's happened, that typically happens around the water cooler, et cetera? Um, so I, I think that's that's certainly a gap they still need to close. Um, I, I, from, from our perspective, from a technology point of view, um, uh, and for some of our clients, we're continuing to move towards that one single view of talent. So how do you bring all of the talent from your VMS, your ATS, your CRM, and your alumni talent pools, HIRS system, all into one central uh, repository? Uh, we have some proprietary tools that do it. Some of our competitors do. There's some great products in market like an adapter, a live hire, et cetera, that uh, permit that single view of talent. Um, uh, but I see that continually being a topic of discussion for customers moving forward. When, it, when, when the business environment is difficult to predict, you don't know whether you're going to hire permanent, contingent, gig workers, et cetera. That's a big investment and step towards giving you that agility very quickly within your organization. 
And, and some of these, there's overlap, right? And, and we've had feedback as we've um, done training in our organization that the opportunity during this time to engage with global colleagues in, in some instances for us it does drive engagement, right? So um, we can't underestimate the impact of providing platforms and providing opportunities for people to engage in different ways, to learn together, right? To solve problems together, to do those things. Uh, is it as ideal as face-to-face? -face? Maybe yes in some instances, maybe no. But the, the formation of those opportunities and experiences are driving engagement, um, and, and, and we're seeing that uh, throughout our organization, which is, is, is really gratifying to see. No, no, totally. I think um, we, we as an, I'd like to think that within our leadership teams, within leaders within the, within the external world, should be trying to drive that passionate, unfiltered debate during those times to get that pursuit of the best goal. And I think we've been really open and honest with our leaders that that's more difficult to achieve in a virtual environment. So having having ways using Google Jamboards, uh, making sure that you're, you're including everyone, asking individuals, are you a five on this idea? Are you a fifth on this idea around really getting behind it? Um, just changing, altering slightly the way of working to can make sure that you continue to get that, I think is critical to ensure you're still getting the right uh, direction and uh, answers from your leadership team. And, Lots of the talent acquisition leaders that I, I work with are using some of those um, when you have a global talent acquisition team that you work with virtually. Yeah, and, and, and I think making the commitment in difficult times where we are having to be agile and having to make quick decisions, right? Mike, as a leadership team, you know, you and I are going through some global training right now, right? And so we're, we're trying to, to set the stage and, and, and be better and, and learn and do some things differently as we go along as well, right? It's a learn-it-all, not a know-it-all mentality. <laughs> you have some great one-liners. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the fifth and, and final kind of theme um, and tr trend that came out of the survey, and it is around talent analytics. And we've touched on this some as we've gone through our discussion, but how are we using it and how are we – um, planning for the future around analytics. How are we, you know, taking data, looking at insights, and trying to, to plan for our future? So, um, you know, Mike has talked about looking at different kinds of analytics from different systems in an integrated way. I think that's one thing that we're, we're doing at Ronstadt, and we have an opportunity to do it better, but I think we're starting to do that and, and doing more prediction, which I, I think is helpful. Um, how has the role of talent analytics might changed in 2020? And, and what are companies, how are they using insights in some new and different ways? Yeah, in short, I think those organizations that uh, made the investment in talent analytics pre-COVID, um, it, it should have been a game-changing platform for them. I think COVID has, has really put a spot on, on organizations' talent analytics maturity. Uh, we have a, a global retail organization that we work with uh, that I had a, a conversation with last week where he was feeling frustrated that business leaders were coming to him and asking him questions that he felt HR or TA should have been able to answer. But by them previously not making that investment in the talent analytics space, um, they simply didn't have the data to be able to answer some of what they considered to be incredibly pertinent questions at this point in time. How many contingent workers do we have? How long have they worked for us? Where are they located at the moment? Um, uh, whether that be from the VIMS the technology, just one kind of simple example. Furthermore, um, what I've seen is um, organizations starting uh, to bring together now those multiple complex systems of data into one single view. So they're taking uh, talent analytics data and combining it with commercial finance data and creating uh, quite complex target operating models and overlaying predictive analytics over the top of that. So trying to be able to answer questions like, we, what, what source of hire gets promoted the quickest within our organization? When we lose talent, who do we lose it to? And what is the performance of those individuals on average before we lose them? And what is the overall sentiment of the exit interview from those? incredibly powerful insights that really allow you to kind of surgeon-like make uh, tweaks to your workforce. And um, 
the, the ability to then to look at ROI calculations from that uh, to make more important decisions around productivity, genuinely improve the overall gene pool of your organization is yeah very incredible. Yeah, that's great. And if you if you think about if you had to pick the most innovative use, either from a business leader perspective or in talking to clients, what's the most innovative use of talent analytics you've seen this year? Um, yeah, I, mean, I could talk about this topic forever, so um, uh, I'll try and keep it to maybe a couple of concrete examples. But um, I see a number of examples where organizations are continually trying to optimize the process between uh, time to hire and quality of hire, and quality of hire being measured typically by um, hiring manager satisfaction, willingness to promote uh, hard KPI achievement within a certain kind of time frame. And then a number of organizations who have those mature talent insights models are continually A-B testing uh, that process, the technology elements, the people elements of it, to try and kind of crack the code of getting the best balance between the two. Uh, but we have quite a, an evolutionary relationship with a, a client uh, in the UK, for example, who has spent a significant amount of time doing that only for data scientists, and they've been doing it now for almost 18 months. And um, they now believe that they've cracked the code on having the optimum balance between recruiting and converting data scientists through the funnel, keeping them in the organization afterwards and understanding what's important to them, as well as making sure the quality of hire is incredibly high as well. Now, it, it remains to be seen whether they've got that right or not, but I think it's it's an incredible advantage for them if they haven't been able to get that right um, from a, a competition point of view against their competitors. I think that's, that's one standout. I think secondly, um, you're starting to see a lot of organizations starting to want to get an understanding of what, what will technology attribution and our ambitions around technology attribution have on our company, i.e. what roles are going to be impacted by robotic process automation and what should we do with them in the future? So um, uh, I've seen platforms like uh, a Fathom and a Brightfit, for example, as part of uh, Rice, uh, Randstad Rice Smart offering, give you the ability to kind of get a general understanding about what the potential impact is of those RPA technologies on your organization. What roles will be impacted by that? And then what are the, what are the roles that exist within your organization that those individuals could make a move to that are less likely to be impacted by RPA and artificial intelligence in the future. And then, then saying, as a result of that, how if I'm hiring roles for, that, for those uh, roles that are impacted in the future, what skills can I hire now that allow that individual to make a more seamless jump to that less impacted role in the future? Lowering the burden on L&D, creating a more liquid workforce, um, meaning that there's a, there's a significant seamlessness to pushing internal mobility. So um, I did maybe just a couple of concrete examples of clients who are kind of at the forefront of the uh, talent acquisition industry doing some, some really innovative stuff at the moment with technology and talent analytics combined. Yeah, that's a, a great example, Mike, um, of, of using some of that intelligence and that data um, to figure out, right, how we're going to plan for the workforce of the future. So I have one, one more thought, Mike. Um, Great article that uh, was in the latest edition, the November edition of the Harvard Business Review. Um, the work from anywhere future. So what does that do, right? You think about work from home, work from anywhere, like the, the culture of digital nomads, right? Who, who want to live anywhere. But what does that do to a global talent pool? And what does that do for us and for organizations for whom we're recruiting to open up access to talent, right? So it's really kind of an interesting plus to all of this when we think about that work from anywhere opportunity for, for many, many organizations. Uh, absolutely. I'll answer it in two ways if that's okay. I think I had a conversation yesterday with a large client who uh, come to us and said, we've got a pretty good geographical footprint. So our ability to be able to recruit talent in, in, in countries isn't too bad. What we don't know is, is there hot spots of talent that are critical for us to be able to get access to where we don't have physical location and don't plan on having a physical location in the future? 
how can you as an organization help us find those golden veins of talent that exist globally? How, and then how can you start talent pooling those particular skill sets and bring them into our organization in a super seamless way? And I think that it, it's a challenge for us and for other organizations to identify those golden veins of talent outside of the places where they have physical locations at the moment because my assumption is they should already have pretty good insights on those locations. And that the challenge for us as an organization is the seamless element of that. So I, I dream of a future where our talent advisors are sitting in front of clients and saying, here's a short list of individuals. The short list of individuals is made up of people from gig work platforms globally. Uh, they're made of domestic individuals who are looking for contingent or permanent work. We've got some statement of work organizations that have undertaken great work for you previously. Um, or there's an element of this work that we can reconstruct and break down and do by RPA in the future. Um, and then we can job share it between two other individuals. So, and if we're going to deliver that, no matter what vehicle we choose to get that work done, it should still feel seamless for the hiring manager. Um, without any liability, taxation, complexities, et cetera. That's, that's the dream that I think we need to be able to give our clients in the future. It's seamless access to, to global talent um, in the blink of an eye. I think you just beautifully described total talent utopia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tracy, we'll turn it back to you. I don't know if any questions have come in, but um, I know we're closing in <laughs> the hour, so it's back to you. Yes, so we have had a couple of questions come in, and one, maybe Cynthia will go back to your comment about the engagement tool you've used. You specifically referenced PECON, um, that that's been invaluable to you and your colleagues during this, this pandemic. Um, is there any technology or process that if you knew the COVID-19 situation would have endured as long as it is and perhaps will, that you would have implemented more quickly or adapted to um, perhaps earlier in the process? Is there anything you would have done or a lesson learned that would be helpful to share? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think um, back to the comment that uh, the bantering that Mike and I did about, is it a new technology for us because of COVID? No but the frequency with which we used it. Um, I think we jumped on that pretty quickly. So I think from a PECON technology standpoint, um, I, I don't think we would have done anything differently. Maybe shifted the frequency from weekly to bi-weekly a little bit more quickly, because I think we, we tired. Um, one of the interesting learnings, and, and we, we don't have a lock on it, but you know, a workforce is a spectrum of people and we, introduced a lot of questions around well-being. And we have a segment of our population, they want it, they want more of it, they want to hear about it, they want the support for it. And we have a section of our population, please don't ever ask me about well-being. I have my people I talk to, I don't want to bring it into the workforce. So I think maybe spending a little bit more time on, you know, should we have had fewer, well, I, I, it, we'll learn from that. But I think that's something that we need to think about the whole concept of well-being and what are the stops and starts of responsibility for an organization in that realm. So I think we need to do some additional thinking there. Yeah, I think that could be certainly a conversation uh, onto itself, but thank you for your comments. Yeah. And then, Mike, we've had some questions come in around the talent analytics examples you gave. And for an organization that perhaps hasn't delved into that, you know, quite deep enough yet or that they're early in the learning curve, where would someone start to evaluate talent analytics and how they can bring that further to light within their organization to drive hiring decisions or talent modeling? Any comments on that? Sure. Um, first and foremost, I would be uh, hung up on not having a complex invest, complex or uh, technology or a huge investment budget. My, my advice is start somewhere. Uh, we have organizations that are still using Google Sheets. They've downloaded Google Forms from online. Um, uh, I personally subscribe to a lot of blogs. There's an individual called John Sullivan in the US who I think publishes a huge amount of free content uh, that you can download and repurpose. Um, uh, so I, I would absolutely uh, suggest going online. 
There's Reddit communities that have huge amounts of templates that people share. Take them, roll them out within your organization and just get those learnings. And my, my advice is to start very simple. Just say, if, if I had a magic wand that could solve, if I could only measure three talent analytics uh, KPIs that are going to have the biggest impact on my organization in the next six months, what are those three talent analytics? And start with that in a simple way and then go from there. That would be my advice. Thank you for listening to Randstad SourceWrite's Talent Navigator podcast. Learn more about the trends you've heard about today at randstadsourcewrite.com.